Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. So you can begin looking that up now. And while you're getting that ready, I'll pray, asking God to bless us as we read and consider his word, read the passage, and then we'll go to the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. Then we'll go to the sermon. So let's pray. Glorious God and merciful Father, we rejoice that we can come to you now and hear you speak your word to us. Your word is truth. And by your word, we receive new birth. We pray you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that your spirit would lift our gaze to Jesus, our Saviour and Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. And now let's read James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And now, it's over to the children's talk. Hello everybody, it's Beck Walls here from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church, and I'm here with my four kids, Kai, Ellie, Hannah, and Flick. Say hi guys! Hi! Now, you guys know what we've been learning recently, don't you? Yeah, what book have we been studying, Hannah? James. And he helps us to live and work wisely for God. Beautiful. Excellent. And we've been meeting this teddy bear here, haven't we? Who's this teddy bear? Jemima. That's right. Her name is Jemima. And she's gone through some pretty tough times over the last few weeks, hasn't she? There's been good things and bad things that have happened to her. But she's got her glasses on so that she can see the world through God's eyes, see things the way that he sees things. And she's got her listening ears on so that she can listen to the word of God and obey it. Now, through all the things that she's learnt in the study of James, there's one thing that's come out a few times already. We're going to learn more about it today in our final talk on James. Okay, now we're going to play a little game, all right, to see what Jemima should do in various situations. 
So, Kai, can I get you to roll this dice for me? Two. Two, that's right. So, can you pick off the number two on this colourful board here? Number two, and tell me what's inside. What does it say that Jemima is feeling? Cheerful. That's right. Jemima is feeling cheerful. And what should Jemima do when she's feeling cheerful? Kai, can you read what's on the back of this? Pray. She should pray when she's feeling cheerful. All right. Ellie, can you please roll the dice for me now? Two. Uh, we've already done two. Let's go again. Two. Oh, dear. Things are not going well. Six. Six. That's right. Pick a number six for us and tell me what is Jemima feeling? Sad. Sad. What do you think Jemima should do when she's feeling sad? Pray. That's right. The Bible says that when she's feeling sad, she should pray. All right, Hannah, your turn to roll the dice. Five. All right, number five. What's Jemima feeling? Excited. Excited, that's right. What should Jemima do when she's feeling excited? Pray. That's right, fantastic. All right, Kai, grab the dice again. One. One. What's Jemima feeling in this one, Kai? She's feeling sick. Oh, dear. Jemima's feeling sick. What should Jemima do when she's feeling sick? She should pray. That's exactly right. James tells us if we want to live and work wisely for God, we should pray even when we're sick. Ellie, one more. Make sure it's a three or a four. Okay. Two. Two. Three. Three. What's Jemima feeling? Suffering. Suffering. Very good. Jemima is suffering. What should Jemima do when she's suffering? Pray. That's exactly right. We've only got one left. I think it's pretty risky to roll the dice. You can roll it one more time, but if it's not a four, you can just pick the last one up. Three. It's a three, but you can pick off the four. It's the last one left. What's she feeling? Angry. Angry, that's right. And what should your mama do when she's feeling angry? Pray. That's right. James tells us to pray. Pray. No matter what's going on in our lives, we need to be praying. We need to talk to God. And do you know what God says about prayer? He says in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. See, God listens to our prayers. God hears what we want and he answers our prayers. So all through the book of James, Jemima has learnt lots of things about how to live and work wisely for God. And today we're reminded that no matter what's going on in our lives, whatever's going on in Jemima's life, 
we should pray. And that's going to help us to live and work wisely for God. Let's say a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you sent your son to die for us. Please help us to come to you no matter what's going on in our lives. Help us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a Latin phrase that intrigued me a few years ago, and I'm praying will be top of mind as I live my life. It's not a complicated idea. It should motivate every Christian. But it's an idea we all too easily forget. The phrase is Coram Deo. R.C. Sproul, the American theologian, said this was the big idea of the Christian life. And when someone like R.C. Sproul says that, we should sit up and take notice. Sproul was the founder of Ligony Ministries, and on their website in 2017, they published an article from him on Coram Deo. Here's some of what he said. This phrase literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of, or before the face of, God. To live Coram Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. James has come to the end of his letter. He's been urging his readers, urging us, to live and work wisely for God. And he's explored a variety of areas where wisdom requires change. He's looked at suffering that we should count it all joy, remembering Jesus is coming. He's spoken about true wisdom. He's discussed money, our desires, love. He's told us that without works, faith is dead. And as he rounds everything off, he's leaving no stone unturned. He's urging us to live Coram Deo. He's saying, live all of life in God's presence. How do we do that? First, in verses 13 to 18, he says, Turn to God in everything. He starts by speaking to sufferers again. Verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. A few verses earlier, he was telling suffering Christians to wait patiently because Jesus was coming and he'd bring justice with him. And now he says, Pray. It's a simple, obvious command But do we pray? How often do we pour out our heart to God, describing our situation, asking him to deliver us or give us strength to endure? My fear is that we treat prayer in suffering a bit like having an apple for a snack. We know it's good for us, it's delicious and sweet, but we'd much rather the chocolate biscuit. Notice, James doesn't dictate what we should pray. We could pray we'd count it all joy, or that he'd give us the wisdom we need, or that he'd take that suffering away, or give us patience to endure, or that Jesus would come soon. Maybe we could pray a psalm. I'm always amazed by the faith of the persecuted church. So often when asking for prayer, they don't ask that their suffering would stop, but that God would strengthen their faith. Do you pray when suffering? Or do you turn to something else? Do you escape into TV, sit in silence, eat a tub of ice cream? 
Leave all of life in God's presence. Turn to God in everything. Pray in suffering. Verse 13. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We're even more likely to not sing praise in joy. When Israel was on the verge of the promised land, ready to take possession, Moses gave a warning in Deuteronomy 6. He said, When you experience all the good things in the land, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's easy to think you've brought about good things for yourself. You got yourself promoted. You've produced a lovely family. We quickly forget God is the giver of every good gift. Without him, we'd have nothing. And when we don't praise God for good things, that speaks volumes. If we don't sing, How Great Thou Art, we may as well be singing, How Great I Am. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, it has taught me to say, I am brilliant, I am sovereign, look at me. The antidote to pride is praise. Instead of being self-satisfied, we find our joy in him. In the original Greek, both pray and sing are in the present tense, meaning we're to keep turning to God, keep doing these things. Now we get to some tricky verses, 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. There's a few ideas on these verses in the commentaries. But let me start with what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that if you have enough faith, you're guaranteed to get well if you pray. When people like Bill Johnson, Kenneth Copeland, Todd White, Benny Hinn, Paula White and Joyce Meyer try to use this verse to support that, they're dead wrong. Who are the ones praying in these verses? It's the elders. According to their false and deadly theology, if they pray for you and you don't get well, it's their lack of faith which is at fault, not yours. But don't ask them to pray for you. They're quacks. It also doesn't justify the Roman Catholic sacrament of last rites, where the priest anoints you to prepare you for death. James expects people would physically get better. There's no mention of the oil being consecrated. And it's elders, not priests, being called. So, what does it mean? Here's what I think makes sense. He's talking about physical sickness and healing. This person is too sick to go to the elders himself, so the elders need to come to him. Not because they have the gift of healing, but because theirs is the ministry of prayer and the word. And they represent the entire church's desire for this person to be healed. Plus, the elders are the shepherds of the church, there to care for the sick and suffering. Why anoint? Not because it was medicine. Plenty of illnesses wouldn't be helped by that. And not just to make the person feel cared for. The oil didn't heal. No, the oil consecrates them, setting them apart for God's special attention. 
and they're to pray in the name of the Lord according to his will and plan. See, we don't make demands of God. We don't dare think our words are as powerful as God's. No, we ask humbly. And like Jesus did, we pray, your will be done, trusting that God will do the right thing. We're to live all of life in God's presence, turning to him in everything. And the elders, as they pray, will pray even bigger than just physical healing. See verse 15, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Why will sins be forgiven? Because we remember that sometimes, not not all the time, but sometimes, sickness can be caused by sin. So, every sickness should be a time where we examine ourselves and repent. But the really tricky part is at the start of verse 15. How can he say the sick person will be saved, which here means made well? Is he claiming healing will absolutely happen? Is James like the health and wealth preachers we see on TV? They guarantee health and wealth if you believe. But we've already seen it's the elders praying here. It's their faith which is the issue. These other preachers have James completely wrong. I wonder if you knew someone convinced they'd be healed in this life, but they weren't. Maybe that they'd never catch COVID, or that there was no way the cancer would spread. They're Christians, after all. It's this kind of presumption and bad expectations which can make Christians pitied by the world as sadly deluded. But isn't that exactly what James says? Isn't he a bit too confident in how effective our prayers will be? Don't his words go against our experience? Not if we realise that, first, this isn't an unqualified promise. These prayers and anointing happen in the name of the Lord. Again, it's submitting to God's will. It's not that we say the magic words in the name of the Lord and suddenly we get what we want. To pray in the name of the Lord is to pray according to God's will. Second, James speaks this way so we'd be confident to pray. He mentions Elijah in verses 17 to 18, not emphasising how incredible Elijah was as a prophet, but how ordinary he was as a man. He was just like us, but he prayed and God answered. We can know with certainty that God will answer us when we pray according to his will. Whatever we ask, no matter how outlandish, he can do it and will do it if it's part of his plan. So don't be afraid to pray, no matter how impossible it might seem or how bad the prognosis is. Turn to God in everything, in suffering, in joy and in sickness. When life's good or bad, turn to God because we're to live all of life. In God's presence. And lastly, verse 16, as we turn to God, we do that together. The Christian life isn't an isolated life, it's a family life. 
We're not to hide our lives from others. We're to confess our sins to one another, to pray for one another. The Christian life is a battle, and we're not to fight alone. When the devil tempts you, and when you fall for his lies, don't pretend you're doing well. Confess to others and pray for one another. One problem we can have as Christians is we only sort of know one another. We don't let others in to know our struggles. We put on a happy face when under the surface we're struggling. If we're going to live all of life in God's presence, let's know one another. We can't be super close to everyone, but find someone in the church, two people, to really share life with, confess to, and receive prayer. Broadcasting our sins to everyone wouldn't be wise. Bad actors might exploit some information. But find close relationships in the church and confess to one another. God wants us to turn to him in everything and do it together like an army storming the enemy's line. Finally, James finishes his letter by telling us the job isn't done. If we're to live all of life in God's presence, that'll mean helping others to do the same. After telling us to turn to God in everything, he says in verses 19 to 20, turn sinners to God. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Brethren. Throughout the letter, he's called them brethren, brothers and sisters, family, because those who trust in Jesus, who've been saved by his death for them, aren't strangers gathered on a Sunday. We're family, bound together by the spirit of the living God who dwells in us. And because we're bound together by the Spirit in love, we should be looking out for each other. Because we should have close relationships within the church, we should notice when someone begins to turn away from the truth. Casting Crowns is a Christian band, and in the chorus to one of their songs they sing, It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to grey. Thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day, it's a slow fade. When we're involved in each other's lives, we'll be able to see that slow fade. When things which once they'd never dream of doing, they start doing. When they start believing things they'd never dream of believing before. And as we see that slow fade from church, biblical morality, biblical teaching, we should express our concern to them because we love them. We don't want them to walk away from Jesus. We want them to grow stronger in the faith. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. When someone starts turning from Jesus, we should be concerned. We should warn them of the danger they're in. We should reflect Jesus' love for them. What did Jesus do for sinners who, like sheep, had gone astray and turned to our own way? He came for us, 
died for us, took the punishment we so richly deserved, the death sentence. So let's love one another and warn one another when it looks like they're falling into sin, which could lead them away from the one they claim as their saviour. James wants us to live and work wisely for God. Love demands we're eager for others to live and work wisely for God. We're not just concerned about following Jesus' commands ourselves. We want our Christian brothers and sisters to do it too. And so we strive to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus by holding out these words to each other and seeking to turn one another away from the sin which so easily entangles. As James closes his letter, he wants us to live all of life in God's presence. That's what it means to live and work wisely for God. David tells us in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Not that he ticks atheist on the census form, but that he lives as though God wasn't watching. But where to live Coram Deo, to live all of life in God's presence, and that will keep us from sin. Like a child who checks if his parents are watching before he takes something from his sister, we wouldn't dream of sinning if we knew we were living Coram Deo, in God's presence. Instead, we'd want to do all we could to please him, We'd live every part of our lives with family, at work, in the car, on social media, watching TV. In everything, we'd want to please him. To live and work wisely for God, we're to live all of life, coram Deo, in God's presence. Let's pray. Father of the heavenly lights, our graceful King and compassionate Lord, We thank you for these words from James, and indeed, his entire letter. We acknowledge that you are the one that all of life is about. We were made to live with you as our God. We were made to worship you, honour you, love you, live for you. You are God, and we are not. You deserve all the praise we can give. And so we pray that all our lives would be lived coram Deo, in your presence, that we would remember that you are with us at every moment, that this reality would keep us from sin, inspire joy, and fuel our godliness and love. May we love one another, serving one another, drawing one another away from sin and wandering from Jesus. Be honoured by our lives as we live and work wisely for you, our God. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.